Well, good morning. Ooh, I like that reception. Before I begin, um, I first want to acknowledge and thank God for the privilege to stand here today. It's truly an honor to be on this platform and I don't take it for granted. I also want to thank you, Reverend Dr. Legrone, for inviting me to speak. She wouldn't take no for an answer, nor would she take let me pray about it for an answer. But she was kind enough to reschedule me after I started sporting this um, new shoe fashion. And I would be remiss in my duties here standing on this platform if I did not thank and acknowledge and thank Dr. Tennant for his leadership and the leadership staff here at the seminary, for my colleagues and my coworkers who I work with and serve with here, and for each and every student who has come to Asbury Seminary to be equipped for the work of the ministry. I also wanna thank my support group, my social support group, the students, my friends, both gold and silver, my family, both who are here and live streaming. Hey guys, sorry. <laughs> With whom I have connected, who have been supportive, who have prayed for me, been compassionate, been encouraging, been exhorting in my preparation for today. Okay, oof. Um, I don't see any tables here. I don't see any cozy chairs for individuals to sit and talk. I don't see any children, and based on the way you're looking at me, I think you can all hear me. Okay, I can do this. You see, I'm, I'm really good at um, dramatic gesturing and empowering and empathic listening and breaking things down to their most common literal meaning because that's where I cut my ministry teeth in children's church and working with the deaf and in counseling ministries and in teaching. So today, God is expanding my territory and I'm pretty nervous, but I'm excited at the same time. So just if you allow me one brief moment to do what I do best, my dramatic, simplistic children's church style prayer, I'll be ready to go. Lord, and he says, yes, Jackie. Uh, I'm here and I'm ready to go. I've practiced, I've prepared. You've given me something to say. Now empower me and use me as a conduit for your message today. All right, I'm ready. Today we're gonna to talk about relationships. Relationships typically fall into several different categories, although some of them overlap. There are friendships, family relationships, acquaintances, work relationships, romantic relationships. All types of relationships are recorded in the Bible. For example, the story of the life of Jacob speaks to family dynamics and family relationships. David had a legendary friendship with Jonathan. They were BFFs. <laughs> then there's that beautiful romantic relationship between Ruth and Boaz. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark had a strong partnership. But when his nephew John Mark had a 
uh, kind of wimped out on that first mission trip, Paul wanted to kick him to the curb. But Barnabas chose to mentor him instead, got him back on his feet, and he helped to contribute to the Christian history that we know today. Remember the night that Jesus was betrayed? He called his followers friends. And the church, well, his bride. Then there's that mysterious relationship, the one that's difficult to explain and not mentioned by name, yet it is the very essence of Christianity and what sets us apart from other religions. That's the relationship I want to start with. Let's go back to Genesis, chapter 1, verse 26, where the scripture says, Then God said, Let us, plural, make man, plural, in our, plural, image, after our, plural, likeness. What can we learn from the scripture? Though not explicitly stated in this verse, many biblical uh, interpreters <coughs> contend that the phrase, let us, did not refer to a council of angels. Let us, it's not referred to a salad, <laughs> but let us refers to a triune God. One God eternally existed in three equally divine persons. The mystery we often refer to as the Trinity. Here we see that God was and is and will forever be inherently relational. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are one, yet relationally and interconnected. So I said to myself, God was having a conversation with himself. Ah, three in one, the mystery of the Trinity. The second half of that scripture, in our, plural, image, after our, plural, likeness, does not mean that the triune God created humans to resemble himself physically, but that God endowed humans with the capacity for reason, intelligence, creativity, speech, moral consciousness, and choice, and the capacity to be in relationship with himself and with other humans. Because we are made in this likeness and image of a relational God, we are inherently relational ourselves. We are created for relationship with God himself and also with other people. Although made in the likeness and image of God, human beings are fallen creatures, frail, and vulnerable to the trials, tribulations, and stresses of everyday life. Stressful situations, however, show us what we're made of. Good stress inspires us, it excites us, it ignites us, and it motivates us. And it helps us and it enhances our performance in the things that we do. But when negative events pile up or become chronic or excessive, it becomes bad stress, a destructive force exceeding our coping skills and resources, impacting every system in our body, including our mental health. Do you know Americans are among the most stressed people in the world? 
Somebody say yeah. 55% say they experience a lot of stress every day. America is among the five highest rates of stress out of 143 countries. Okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I see you looking at me. Before I share any more numbers, any more statistics, let me just put out a little disclaimer here. Those of you who critique or evaluate research know that statistics can be misleading or data can be interpreted for the researcher's purpose or cause. But according to the scripture in John 16:33, there must be some, some validity in the number of reported stress levels. Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you can have peace in me because here on this earth you will have many trials and sorrows. So there's got to be some truth to the numbers I'm about to share with you because 55% should be concerning. So listen to these stats on pastor stress. 54% of pastors find the role of a pastor overwhelming. 75% of pastors report significant stress-related crises at least once in their ministry. 52% of pastors feel overworked and cannot meet their church's unrealistic expectations. 38% of pastors are thinking of quitting the ministry, 51% of them from mainline denominations. One survey found that 75% of pastors report being extremely stressed or highly stressed. Research studies in 90, 1998 and 2006 found that 70% of pastors said that they constantly fight with depression. I venture to say that because of stress, many pastors are leaving not the ministry, but the pastorate. Churches are closing their doors, especially since COVID-19. And the world needs the church in order to make a difference in this world. Amen? Thank you. I like that amen. I know why pastors say that. Okay, I got it. <laughs> Hold on a minute. Yes, sir? Okay, he said cut out the jokes. Okay. Okay, wait, I've got more numbers. Let me tell you about college students. According to the American College Health Association, one-third of college-age students have reported being depressed to the point of being unable to function. And if that wasn't enough, recent statistic in 2020, researchers explored two possible interventions to help address the mental health concerns of seminary students because of the unique set of stressors they experience. Stressors that don't fit into what the average graduate student or the established clergy person experiences. Oftentimes, seminary students are dealing with multiple areas of stress associated with being in higher education as well as being a member of the clergy in the beginning years of their ministry. Seminary students are overworked and overstressed by the demands of work, school, family, and in desperate need of interventions and education about the stresses and demands that come with entering the profession. 
Let's take a look at the severity of bad stress. Are you with me? Okay, just check. Yes, sir. Okay. According to the National Alliance on Mental Health, approximately one in five adults in the United States are debilitated by stress and experience mental illness in a given year. So that means one, two, three, four, five, you're it. One, two, three, four, five, you're it. One, two, three, four, five, you're it. Of course, we like to believe that the outlook would be different when discussing mental health in the church, right? Nope, not so. Because of the stigma of mental health in the church, Christians somehow think that they should be above those struggles. But the reality is that mental illness exists both inside the walls of the church and outside as well. Research statistics on pastors and Christians found that 26%, that's not a large number, but it is significant. 26% of U.S. Protestant pastors say that they have personally struggled with some type of mental illness. 17% of them said that it was diagnosed, but 9% of them say it was never diagnosed. The World Health Organization defines mental health, not mental illness, mental health, as a state of mental well-being that enables people to cope with the stresses of life, realize their abilities, learn well, work well, and contribute to their community. Our mental health is influenced by biological, psychological, social, cultural, economic, and spiritual factors. Social factors play an important role in creating, maintaining, and promoting mental health. Yet most people withdraw and isolate themselves when they're stressed out. They don't know what I'm about to share with you today. And that is, we were created for connection. Relationships are God's gift to humanity. When we read the Bible, we see just how important relationships are. So now you have to play along with me because this is the children's church person coming out of me. And I've been really good because of this boot. Usually I'd be all over this place. So <laughs> God showed us the importance of relationships by sending his only son to reconcile us back to him. Jesus showed us the importance of relationships, not in just what he said, but in how he lived his life. And the Holy Spirit showed us the importance of relationships by being our comforter, desiring to dwell within us, showing us the beauty of true intimacy and in relationships. So now, what I want everybody to do, this, is, this, won't, this won't take a lot of time and it won't hurt. I need you to make your hand into a C I need you to bring it down. Then I need you to take that C and take it across. That is the sign for cross in sign language. We're going to use it. The Bible ranks, and when I do it, you have to do it, okay? That's the game. It's not hard. I told you it's not hard. We're not playing Father Abraham, so this won't hurt. <laughs> the Bible ranks vertical, 
and horizontal relationships as the most important thing in our lives. You heard it read in the scripture when that lawyer was trying to trap Jesus. He asked him, teacher. <laughs> uh, this is the dramatic part. You have to do that when you work with kids. Which is the great commandment in the law? <laughs> Jesus answered, no, he didn't do it like, he didn't do it like that. <laughs> he said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And the second is like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible is all about these two important relationships, the vertical and the horizontal. A loving relationship with God is the most important, but loving relationships with others is second. Horizontal relationships are so important that God didn't just suggest we treat each other's well, treat each other's well. He put it in a commandment. Solomon acknowledged the importance of that relationship way back in the Old Testament when, as you heard the scripture reading, two are better than one. His wisdom was clear here. True godly companionship provides comfort in times of need, help in trouble, a friend to work beside you, and a protective guard against danger. So let's get back to my numbers. Let's get back to these stats. What are we gonna do about this? Earlier, I just read to you John 16, 33, but I only read half of it when Jesus said, in this world you will have trials and tribulations and sorrows. But let me finish the end of that verse. He says, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Isn't that good? Christ's victory over the world is multifaceted. He gave us peace that we can't even understand, power, and brothers and sisters, relationships. The importance of social support in mental health has been studied repeatedly in psychological research. One psychologist wrote that social support is a crucial factor in ensuring well-being and mental health. Remember I told you that sometimes people withdraw and isolate when they get stressed? Well, research shows us that having a solid social support, a network of friends and acquaintances and family and mentors to turn to, especially in times of need or crisis, positively influences, you'll love this, academic performance, benefits overall well-being, and eases the anxiety that students often face. Social support, hey, social support. Sorry, I had to say that to the, my live streaming social support group. Excuse me. Yes, sir. Social support has been shown to support better interpersonal functioning, which in turn facilitates physical and psychological well-being. Social support fosters self-esteem and inhibits feeling incompetent or helpless when you're coping with stress. 
There's a lot of research out there that suggests social support is linked with lower depression, lower hopelessness levels among people who struggle with depression. As a matter of fact, research has identified four types of social support. Instrumental or material support, you know, that tangible thing like loaning somebody some money or letting somebody use a book or buying them a cup of coffee or helping them pack their boxes when they're moving. Emotional support, and that's, you know, just expressing empathy and trust and care and compassion. Three, informational support, like advice or suggestions or facts to help people make a, make a, a decision. And a, what they call, I love this one, number four, appraisal support. And that's asking a friend what they think they should do to help them to brainstorm problems for themselves. Four types of social support. The Bible also speaks to the importance of social support. I have the scripture references, but I'm looking at the time and I'm just gonna read the scriptures and not the reference. My command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Do everything in love. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Jesus left us a model showing the value and the power of social support and relationships. He sent his followers out in pairs to share the good news of the gospel. Rather than sending them alone, Jesus wanted everyone to have someone to travel and do the work with them. And God wants the same for you. So by now you're probably wondering, well, I'm not burnt out, but last semester was really stressful and I'm starting to get kind of crispy around the edges. <laughs> Where do I start? Or maybe you're saying, this is my first semester, but I want to be prepared and preventive. Where do I start? Let's return back to our sign language. Matthew 23, 36 says, think cross. Your vertical relationship with God is of first importance and your horizontal relationships with others is second. Remember that if you have a relationship with God, you are never alone. Spend time with him. You can't substitute your personal time with God for that biblical assignment. And here's a hint. Sometimes you have to pick up, sometimes in order to pick up something new, you gotta put something else down. So I'm gonna tell you right now, you do not have 5,478 friends. So come off of social media. Put down that phone and pick up some more time in worship and prayer and Bible study, meditation, fasting, solitude, submission, and obedience. Time for another exercise. You can't love others as you, as you should 
until you are in right relationship with God. Yes, we did it backwards, but deaf people understand it either way. But don't think you can work on your horizontal relationship. Don't think that you can't work on your horizontal relationship while you're working on your vertical relationship because praise God, you can. Who are you encouraging and who's encouraging you? A gentleman by the name of Mark Dance tweeted that every pastor needs a Barnabas in their life. At first I thought, did he say barnacle? <laughs> Just a minute. I'm sorry. <laughs> Every pastor needs a Barnabas in their life. And that's someone who can speak words of encouragement. Sometimes rebuke you, but be there with you. And I believe that those of you sitting in this room and watching me need that too. Barnabas was not one of the original 12 apostles, but the scripture says that Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord because of him. The good news is that there are ways for you to find your Barnabas, your supportive relationships. You don't need a huge network of friends and family to have a social support. I'm just telling you though, don't be a Facebook follower, be a face-to-face -face friend. Let me tell you how. First, look for different kinds of relationships and for different kinds of support. Family, coworkers, acquaintances, romantic relationships, friends, all of those. But remember to choose people you can trust and count on so you won't have a negative experience. Number two. Oh, I heard that amen. Amen, sister. Number two. Yeah, we don't want you in toxic relationships. I had that, but I skipped it. I'm sorry. Okay, to get the most out of your social relationships, you have to make an effort. Make time for people. Even children can be a part of your social support. Reach out, lend a hand, or just say hello. If you're there for others, they're more likely to be there for you. Write an email, send a text, or make a date for a video chat. Take advantage of technology, but don't rely on it too heavily, too heavily because there is some research out there that says face-to-face -face relationships are more beneficial. And lastly, resist the urge to withdraw or isolate yourself. Resist that urge. Join a club, make friends. The seminary has so many spiritual formation activities and intramural sports where you can meet people or simply just say hi to the person sitting next to you. It's a good start. Okay, maybe you're experiencing some bad stress right now. You're saying to yourself, Dr. Smith, I don't have a social support network. I don't have a Barnabas. Heck, I don't even have a Judas. <laughs> So what I'm going to tell you, put something down. Put down your beliefs and stigmas about mental health care and pick up something new, like a professional counselor. Shameless plug, here on the campus, the Van Tatehoven Center is free and available to seminary students. Our counselors will facilitate health and growth by reflectively integrating Christian values, principles, and resources with their professional counseling competencies. So you can get some help 
to develop some strategies to manage some stress and find your Barnabases. I made that word up. Okay, the time is well spent, but I would not be complete in my assignment here at this platform or fulfill my duty if I did not tell you one more thing about relationships. I've told you that all of humanity is created in God's image. I've demonstrated through both research and scripture that we need social support. I've pointed out his immeasurable love and desire for us to be in both vertical and horizontal relationships. But I didn't ask you to think. I didn't ask you to visualize. Visualize the kingdom, his kingdom. The writer of Revelation got a vision of God's kingdom. He wrote, after this I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Just as God's goal on this earth is to make glory known among every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation, I encourage you, I urge you, I exhort you to make your goal to mirror God's love for the world and build your social network with people from every racial ethnic group, from every language, from every people, and every nation. We, as the body of Christ, must oppose discrimination of any kind. When we knowingly or unknowingly subscribe to national definitions or societal classifications to choose our Barnabases, if we treat people as inferior or superior because of their demographic, ethnographic, or economic status, we are hurting somebody whom God loves and who Jesus died for. We are mistreating a person created in God's image. And friends, that ought not be. As the scripture says, God forbid. Christ's kingdom knows no racial, ethnic, gender, economic, or national boundaries, and neither should you in your support network. If your support network, if your social support network only looks like you, your vertical is wrong. The world is watching us. We've got to do it right. Francis Schaeffer wrote in his book, The Church Before the Watching World, calls it, the principle of the practice of an observable love and oneness among all Christians, regardless of who and where they are. The world is watching us. We've got to do relationships right. Well, my time is far spent, so I'm not even, I've got a couple songs here, I'm not even gonna sing them. I wasn't gonna sing them anyway. <laughs> but as the, as the worship team comes up, I just wanna quote for you the lyrics of a song that I thought would be so befitting for us. And that song is by Hezekiah Walker. The song says, I need you to survive. He says, I need you, you need me. We're all part of God's body. Stand with me, agree with me, we're all a part of God's body. It's his will that every need be supplied. You are important to me and I need you to survive. 
And if you don't know that song, you can always go back to Michael Smith. In his lyrics, chorus said, friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of them. And a friend will not say never because the welcome will not end. Though it's hard to let you go, in the Father's hands we know that a lifetime's not too long to live as friends. Worship you.